Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 153. Thank you for joining us. Today, Colby alumnus and fellow TAC alumnus Adam Seagrave joins Bonnie and I on the Colby Cast. Adam is a professor at Arizona State University. He's been working on projects to examine racism in our history and how we can approach these ideas, especially in the light of our Catholic and classical background. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, it's good to see you. How are you today? Doing well here in here in Arkansas in the spring. It's always lovely. Yes, lots of pretty pretty things happening. Good to see the green coming on and flowers blooming and so forth. Good deal. Today our guest is Adam Seagrave, an associate professor at Arizona State University, published author, and Colby alumnus, among many other things. Welcome to the Colby cast, Adam. Thanks so much, Bonnie and Steve, for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's nice to meet you. It's great to have you here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, would you tell us a bit about yourself and your background and your Colby connection? Yeah, so I'm a professor at Arizona State University now. Um, and uh, prior to that, I was at the University of Missouri, Northern Illinois University, uh, all of those teaching positions. Uh, but before that, uh, I was formed by Catholic education. So I did my uh, doctoral work at the University of Notre Dame, uh, undergraduate at Thomas Aquinas College, and of course, um, uh, my elementary school education was at, at Colby Academy. So I do really credit Colby Academy with providing me a foundation that I've never, never, you know, um, never forgotten. Certainly, it's it's been there the whole time, and um, just that that introduction to the classics uh the the strong rootedness in catholic faith and the sense of integrating my catholic faith with my educational uh endeavors and with with my uh learning process generally that that experience has really really formed every subsequent educational experience i've had and it continues to inform my teaching of course in different ways because now teaching at a big state secular state university um, that's that has its own opportunities and challenges and i think that uh, if it if it weren't for the foundation that i had, had in catholic education then um it, it would be easy to to sort of get lost in the in the uh the shuffle and the flux of of ideas and and um, everything that goes on at a, at a secular institution, big, big secular state university. So um, so I feel very, very blessed and I'm grateful for my Catholic education and uh, my, my children. I have two children, uh, ages 12 and six, so sixth grade and first grade. Um, and my wife uh, teaches fifth grade at the Catholic school where our two daughters go. Um, and I'm very involved at the school as well. So, uh, so that's, you know, continuing to just be as, as involved in Catholic education as I can be and making sure that my children uh, also get a good Catholic education as, as I did, because I know how important that is. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's something, some things about me, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. 
Okay, so Arizona State is where uh, Mary College, which is affiliated with University of Mary, has a program, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Mary College is a really, really exciting and unique program. Uh, it's and and the the location they have on campus is just beautiful. It's an old, really old church which they've converted into a library and event space and study spaces for students and classroom spaces for students as well. Um, and they host events for students um, that are, you know, intellectual events, uh, speakers, debates, uh, communal conversations with, of course, with food that, that's served. That always attracts the students. Yes. You got to have food at every event. Um, but they have a great group of students there. It's a very vibrant program. And it's, uh, it, it's an opportunity for Catholic students from UMary to evangelize, essentially, on the, on the Arizona State University campus. And it's an opportunity for Arizona State students to be exposed in a deeper way to, uh, to topics and courses that integrate the, the Catholic faith with other topics that they're interested in, like uh, social or political philosophy or history. Um, so it's, it's a really unique and interesting program. It's the only, only uh, program of its kind that I know of that is a, a partnership between a small Catholic university and a huge state university where there's actually an exchange of students and uh, faculty. And it's, so it's, it is really interesting. Uh, so it's been great to, to work with them as much as I can here. Sounds like Monsignor Shea is kind of picking up the uh, educational sort of baton from, you know, those people who are at Colby Academy or at Thomas Aquinas College who are really trying to pull things over in a different direction. And Monsignor Shea seems to be carrying that forward, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And it's well, and I, I'll just add that it's, it's really neat, partly because uh, sometimes really good Catholic education can be a little bit insular. And uh, I, I experienced that to some extent at Thomas Aquinas College. I absolutely loved it there, but it is somewhat insular and you don't really get out uh, very often and interact with people outside of the, the college. So um, so that's that's a, a neat thing about the Mary College idea is that I think it's a good example of of, of solid Catholic education, really interacting in a positive way with the surrounding secular world and uh, witnessing to the faith and hopefully influencing people uh, who, who aren't of the faith to, to see you know, what, what it is that um, Catholic faith means and how it inspires uh, Catholics to act the way they do. And um, so, I th so I think it's a really good example of that, that you know, how we can be in the world as Catholics um, I think that's that's important too. Definitely, that se sure seems like a neat program. He, Monsignor Shea, told us a bit about it on episode one twenty three, a change of the ages. So I'll I'll put the link to that episode in the show notes for this one to hear a little bit more about that and and to uh, relive the moment where I was teasing him about the weather in North Dakota and the escape to Arizona and <laughs> the cruelest part of the winter. So okay, well, so tell us a bit about what you're up to these days. You are working in in a specialized area and it seems like a unique choice given your background. So would you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So I work uh, quite a bit these days on issues of race in American history and politics. And, uh, and I've done quite a bit of teacher continuing education and uh, various teacher programs on the topic of how to teach about issues of race in American history. And I came at this topic through 
my studies of the American founding and early, early American history and political thought. And I, I realized as I was teaching, say, the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, it, it became so clear to me how centrally important the issue of slavery and issues of racism were at the time and how, how important and illuminating the struggle to abolish slavery, to, to overcome racism, to make progress in overcoming racism, how, how really important those, those were to understanding what it means to be an American in the best sense of, of the term. And so, um, and then also, so along with that, as a, as a believer, as a Catholic, and as someone who believes in the Bible, um, I, I connected that, of course, to the book of Genesis and, uh, and the creation of human beings in the image and likeness of God. And the Declaration of Independence is a really interesting echo, I think, of that uh, creation story in the book of Genesis. And it's, uh, the Declaration is one way of understanding what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God, I think, uh, namely that we are equal in dignity, and we all have rights, certain rights that uh, are have been, you know, endowed uh, by our Creator, as the Declaration has it. Um, so, so I saw a tight connection there. So, on the, on the one hand, um, how do we how do we understand what it means to be an American and what's uh, important about that or good about that, and then how does it connect up with our faith as uh, Catholic Christians? And so, um, I think that the case study of racism. And historically, the case study of slavery provides a really, really fruitful uh, ground of exploring and thinking about and reflecting upon the significance of our creation in God's image and likeness and how we can live out that, that understanding in practice with others in society. So, um, so that's, that's kind of the, the story of what I'm work, focusing on now and how I came to it. There are a lot of dimensions to it. I also started a project called Race and the American Story in higher education when I was at the University of Missouri. And uh, one aspect of that project is a course I teach, uh, a college course I teach every year, and other faculty members involved in the project at other universities also teach this this course every year. So, um, so yeah, it's been a really, uh, you know, really rewarding and I think important uh, area of work for me to to be involved in. I'm curious what what led you there. I mean, the interest in the founders certainly, and you know, it's certainly in our world today. It seems like we're getting bombarded with these views, and you know, as you're saying about talking about this, I've even thinking we probably have some of our Colby families out there that fled their local schools because they were they didn't they didn't like the what was being taught necessarily, and so it seems to me like somebody from your background could help to lend some clarity to the truths behind um, what the problem is and what what's wrong what's wrong in a nice way of course with some of these more modern theories such as critical race theory or um, or just critical theory in general I guess but yeah yeah I think that that's a great point that's exactly right I I think that I think that the the ways that uh, that the history of racism in the United States has been taught recently. Uh, many of them have been, unfortunately, very harmful and reflective 
in my opinion, of uh, very uh, wrong worldviews and um, and ideologies. And so I think that what people refer to as critical race theory is is exactly that. I think it's um, it's a it's a harmful approach to to thinking about issues of race that tends to focus on uh, focus on power and treat human beings as um, you know, as, as sort of like billiard balls, sort of vectors of power as, as things almost that are defined by uh, whether, whether they are on, on top of the power hierarchy or on the bottom of the power hierarchy, where they fall in this, in this sort of field, uh, field of, of power relations. And, and so I think it's, re it's incredibly reductive the way that, uh, that, you know, that approach to teaching about race that either either you're white or black, either you're oppressed or oppressor, and it it doesn't leave any room for a more profound understanding of what it is to be a human being. And I think that's the biggest problem is that recent approaches um, in a lot of schools around the country, unfortunately, to teaching about about race and racism, they give students a false and too narrow and restricted and reductive idea of who they are as human beings. And, um, and that also, of course, tends to crowd out uh, religious understandings and, and faith-based understandings of who we are as human beings, uh, because, you know, God, God didn't create us as people of, of uh, different races that were pitted against each other into some sort of power struggle. That's not the way we were created by God. And so, um, so I think that, that it's, it's a really harmful misunderstanding the way that we often teach about race and racism in school. So I certainly understand, um, and I'm very sensitive to it myself. I understand when, uh, families are, you know, upset and dissatisfied about the way that their children are being taught about race in the, in schools. Um, and so I do think though, also it's a tremendous opportunity and I, I view it as a tremendous opportunity, particularly as a Catholic. And, um, and as someone who, who really cares about issues of race and racism, I think it's an opportunity to teach about these topics in the right way and in a better way than they've been taught about in the past. I do think that uh, prior to the recent wave of, of um, interest in teaching about topics of racism in schools, I think prior to that, there was a problematic neglect of uh, teaching in K-12 schools about the histories and the contributions of people of uh, various backgrounds, particularly African Americans, but also uh, Latino Americans and Asian Americans, and you know, I think that those stories tend to have tended to be neglected in in the past. Um, and now, uh, on the one hand, it's good to highlight some of those stories that haven't been as well known in the past. Um, so I think we can we can improve how we teach American history. Uh, but I think we have to do it the right way. And so that's that's where I think the opportunity comes in. We we can really do a good job of teaching American history in a complete way and of introducing students to the full uh, you know the the full understanding of their humanity and um, and how it how you know how that fits in with their society. I, I think we have an opportunity. It's just a matter of of getting it right. And I, I have seen hopeful signs more recently that uh, largely as a result of, of parents, I think, who have uh, spoken up and, and acted on the basis of their disapproval of what their children are learning in school. I, th I think that 
there's a growing realization that we have to teach about these things in better ways than um, than we saw initially a couple of years ago. So, so I'm hopeful about that. Certainly seems like the modern things have made it impossible for us to just be, to just, I mean, normally I'd just like to go back and say, Hey, look at what how people struggled, like you said, in the founding of our country and and, be, and prior to that with this great evil, you know, Alexis de Tocqueville recognizing that it as the thing that's going to tear a country apart. Um, but you know, so it's it's as a Catholic, I'm just like, well, look at all the blessed mothers appeared in all these different things. We have saints of every background. It's already here. We're it's looking at everybody as a as a child of God and part of the church, but. I think I see like my daughter will go off to faith formation and there will be people in her class who say, I hate white people to her and she's as white as they come. So um, I don't think they directed at her, but they're, they're saying something. So even if I'd like to just say, no, we just love everybody. And yes, we have to try to make a, make our society more Catholic in that way where it's loving the neighbor. You have to, you have to be more nuanced about it than just um, just saying that, you know, that's not enough today. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Though. That, that's a great point about the, uh, the resources we have in the Catholic faith in particular to draw on and teaching about diversity in a, in a good way. As, you know, the, the meaning of Catholic is universal, of course. And so as, as the universal church, there's there are all sorts of resources for uh, for helping students to to understand and to see the uh, I guess how diversity relates to humanity um, and and to appreciate the differences that people have in you know different living in different parts of the world with different cultures um, to really appreciate those without forgetting our common humanity and our creation in God's image. And so, so I do think the Catholic faith is really great for that. As you said, saints from all around the world who look, you know, every, every shade of color and every culture and the Marian apparitions in different places around the world. I, I, I think those are great resources for uh, helping students to, to put diversity in context and, in a, and to understand it in a really complete way. So how do you, how does your classical education, your own, like your Colby Foundation and your later studies, your classical education and your Catholic identity, how do they inform how you approach this, this, this whole conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, that a classical education is centered around the questions that we perennially have as human beings about ourselves and about the world, right? And and classics are works, texts that that have stood the test of time in providing insights into those questions and and the answers to those questions. And um, and so I think that uh, a classical education is it's profoundly unifying. I think, and um, in terms of of allowing us to connect with with human beings across time, uh, and of course, there therefore across space as well, um, and to to converse in a way with people who have uh, you know who have lived hundreds and thousands of years ago, we can really really converse with them in in a profound way. Um, and actually, I was just teaching 
uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, his book, The Souls of Black Folk, the other week, last week. And he's got this incredible paragraph on on the classics that um, it's probably one of the most cited paragraphs in the book. But I, I actually might uh, quote from it here because it's so, so powerful. And I think I've got it handy. He says, um, I sit with Shakespeare and he winces not. Across the color line, I move arm in arm with Balzac and Dumas, where smiling men and welcoming women glide in gilded halls. From out of the caves of evening that swing between the strong-limbed earth and the tracery of the stars, I summon Aristotle and Aurelius and what soul I will, and they come all graciously with no scorn nor condescension. So wed with truth, I dwell above the veil. And this is Du Bois reflecting on how his his connection with the classics it actually for him it it overcomes a kind of uh, a kind of harmful race consciousness that he sees elsewhere in society. He's able to dwell sort of above uh, racial identity when he's connecting with the classics, and um, and so so I think that's what the classics provide. They provide this profound. A human community that stretches across time and space in ways that we uh, we can't experience really in, in almost almost any other way. Um, and of course, of course, Catholic identity does something similar. Um, it, it also puts us in touch with with our you know the deepest questions of our existence. It provides us with clear sight about the answers to those questions what the meaning of our lives, you know, is and what we should do, what happiness is. And it, and it also, of course, you know, connects us with, with uh, others around the world and across, across time again who, who share that faith. So we can connect with the saints who have lived hundreds and thousands of years ago. And, uh, and we have powerful connection with other Catholics around the world because of, because of those shared, shared beliefs. And I think that both our connection with classic works and our uh, and our faith, they both provide us with a context, a context of understanding ourselves, our place in the world, the meaning of our lives, um, all all of the sort of the the most foundational. I want to say uh, the you know the truths, the truths of our of our existence as human beings, and and that I think is just so important. I don't know. I honestly don't know what. Um, you know, what, what I would do if I didn't have that, if I didn't have that context, if I wasn't able to, to, to sort of rest and, and uh, be content and, and reflect on the, those foundations, um, you know, in, in both, both with faith and reason. And that's the other thing, actually, too, I want to just point out is that the relationship between faith and reason, right? Um, that is a central, central thing. Uh, certainly for my my experience in teaching and in learning and i think for all of us to some extent um, as human beings how we relate our um the the limits of our rationality uh with with what we choose to believe in beyond that and so i think that that having an understanding of the harmony between faith and reason is really really important and being able to to uh to trust in our reason uh, knowing that the certainty we have through faith is an even greater certainty than we could ever gain through reason. Um, so, so I think that's really important as well.
was just talking with some people just the other day about that idea and what a gift we have as Catholics where those are so ingrained and to to know that that uh, we've got this great anything that we're discovering by the intellect will be confirmed or affirmed or it, it does it's not an opposition to what we know through the light of faith and we were talking specifically kind of about interpreting scripture and how there was a time where it's like people say well that couldn't possibly have happened because our historical things and it's like well maybe maybe it's just figurative but i wouldn't i wouldn't count out the holy spirit being able to make that work somehow before i we just did that but yeah it's what what a, what a blessing we have as as catholics yeah i, I think i think that's absolutely right and yeah and when, another another way i see that unity or that harmony is in the idea of having a relationship with truth. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's what I try to inculcate in my students is not, not just to know certain things, but to have a relationship with truth such that they're intellectually curious, that they, um, you know, that they, they kind of know truth when they find it, can recognize it and, and separate it from falsity. Um, and I think that that also, of course, has a profound um, uh, resonance with our Christian faith because uh, Jesus said that he's uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so uh, we have an actual person who we can have a relationship with who is the truth, which just makes it all the more uh, more powerful to have a relationship with the truth when we recognize it both as Jesus Christ and as true things that we can know about the world. So, um, yeah. So how do you, in your capacity as a professor at a, a big state university, how, do you, how does this go for you in transmitting this to your students and, and having these sorts of conversations, maybe even like the entry point of that kind of conversation, which sometimes that's, we only get that far and that's the end of it. Right. So how, how does that sort of go for you? Yeah, it's, well, it's not always easy. It's definitely not, not always easy at a place like ASU and, and the previous state institutions where I've been, it's different and it's, uh, it's harder in some ways because one can't assume a kind of baseline uh, foundational commonality in in how we understand the world and our place in it and our relationship to god you, you can't under you can't assume that you have that in common with many people um so it makes it more difficult but um honestly for me i you know it makes it more in some ways more fun in some ways more um uh, more interesting and, and, and perhaps more impactful at times. Uh, so I, I like the challenge. I like the challenge of that, of trying to, trying to help and connect with students who don't share my faith, uh, but, but who I think I can bring along to at least, as I said, have a, start to have a relationship with truth in some way. And and then hopefully that, uh, you know, that, that begins a, a, lifelong process for them that will become richer and richer over time and and hopefully lead them to God um, through through that. So so that's how I view it. I, I'm it's uh, it's also a constant constant uh, sort of reflective process for me and uh, questioning whether I'm doing everything I should be doing to evangelize in in this uh, secular environment. Obviously, I'm limited to some extent. I can't you know, I, I can't do everything I would just I would like to do in terms of of uh, trying to convert all my students to uh, to the Catholic faith. Um, I you know I, yeah I would get in trouble if I if I didn't uh, limit that in some way. 
but so yeah, I do struggle with myself, you know, ask myself whether I'm doing enough. Um, but, but I think that at least by, by, uh, by teaching students as best I can to love the truth and to really care about learning um, and also to teach them that there is such thing as objective truth, that we can know it, that we can talk about it with each other. I think that will at least have a beneficial effect on them, you know, that that's in line with with our faith. So, yeah, so it is a it's it's a constant questioning and readjustment process for me in terms of how exactly to live out my faith in that environment. But I do think that I'm called to, to do that. I think um, it's certainly a, a calling, I think, to to be a witness in a very secular, you know, a, a secular um, environment. And um, and I think I'm called to try to do that at least. It's recalling to me some of Monsignor Shea again coming up with his with his document about being in a post-Christendom era and being in the new apostolic age. So as you were talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, it, you can't you can't just approach something in the world you're in like we would have at Thomas Aquinas College, where it's just like, just throw it out there. Let's let's talk about it. It's it's more like it reminds me of St. Paul in some of his epistles where it's clear he's borrowing language and the culture that he's in. Like he's like, I believe that the quotation, like in whom we live and move and have our being is a quotation about Zeus in for the Greeks. And he's use he's turning that around. He's he's speaking their language to teach them about about God and, and about the faith and about salvation. And it seems to me that that's what has to be done today. You can't just pretend like the world is what it was. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I yeah, you, you have to yeah, you have to meet people where they are to some extent. And and sometimes Sometimes I've been at a loss where really I don't know how to, you know, if I can get there, you know, if I can get as as far as I need to go to meet somebody where they are. So it's it can be a little, uh, you know, it can be frustrating at times. But I, I think, yeah, that that's a good that's a good connection. I mean, in terms of uh, being like St. Paul and um, and really going out and trying to, yeah, trying to bring people along who are very far from the faith. Um, yeah, I think I think we are in that time because there are a lot of people who are. Uh, you know, separated from the faith by a, a pretty large abyss. Okay, well, one area I see this being applicable to us as as Colby families is in studying the classics in today's, I guess, what term do we want to use? Progressive cultural atmosphere, perhaps. What, does that term land with you okay? Does that, sure. Um, yeah. So we, as Colby families, study a lot of of the classics. And, and as you've already mentioned, we, we learn a lot from the classics about human nature and um, ancient times to present times. We see things happening over and over again. We see sort of a common thread about how people are, what human nature is, and and learn a lot. And we we learn to see the the area in between the black and white, the, the two extremes. We learn about nuance in, in the course of these studies. So um, there there's a great value in that, I, I think. But how do you as a Catholic, assess the past, especially in your area of expertise, your particular area of study, the, the founding of the U.S. and the people of that time, how do you kind of approach that? And and maybe how did you even land on that particular period of history? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, a great question. Um, so, so I think that on the one hand, of course, we know 
humanity and human nature, it's an eternal thing because it's uh, it's in the mind of God, right? The, the, the we all existed in some form in God's mind before we were created, and human nature is something that uh, is is an idea in in the eternal um, uh, you know in the eternal law, right? Uh, in God's mind for how He governs the world. So so humanity is eternal, um, and human nature is eternal. But we live in history, and uh, as human beings, we get to we get to know the world better over time and we learn over the course of history and um, and actually that that i think is i mean it's one thing that can lead to the progressive error which is that uh that everything is always getting better and better and therefore whatever comes later is always better than what came before so that can be a fallacy i think at times this progressive view of history which does inform some of our current what we call progressive sort of uh um, uh, cultural opinions um, that what's old is therefore bad or not as good. So I think it can lead to that fallacy. But I do think in the case of American history and uh, the uh, early early American history and the American founding, I do think that was a case of of true of true discovery. Um, I I believe a true discovery of a tr of truths about human beings and how they apply to society and politics. So I think that the insight that eventually becomes expressed in the Declaration of Independence about human created human dignity and how it relates to politics. Um, I I've always thought that that was an important discovery, and um, and that the American experiment, as it's been called, really, really is a, uh, a unique and an important opportunity in human history for people in community to uh, live out their human dignity, to follow the natural law in, in, in better and freer ways than most human beings have been able to do so before. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I've really focused on the American context and the American founding in particular is because I do think it did did provide a an important a crucial contribution to humanity. Um, so I, I think I, I think that's the case, um, and and that's partly too why um, I think it's so important that we teach our history correctly and that we improve uh, American politics and and save it actually really because. Uh, because I, I think that if it goes away or fails, um, as as it threatens to do, I think now. If it, but if it does go away or fail, I think that that's a real loss for humanity, and it's a really uh, tragic thing. So, so I yeah. So I think that it's yeah, it's important that we preserve the American experiment, and that means in a way, in a way, conserving and sustaining the insights of the founding, and in a way, applying them better than they were at the time of the founding and renewing them and understanding them better perhaps than they were at the time so um so that i think speaks to your question a little bit but i know i kind of got yeah. probably got off track too i think i asked you about 29 questions all at once like several different directions yeah. so <laughs> synthesize them quite well sorry about that no no it's a good question I really enjoy that because, you know, our, it was clear our founding fathers were, they both had, we had this independent Christian, generally Christian society, and they, they're learning from all of these, these people that 
you know, as we read at TC, the Rousseau's and the, you think, well, they're not really necessarily Catholic, but they managed to form this, like the beautiful Declaration of Independence and things and build all of that where it's, they're recognizing the fallen nature of human, of humanity, and trying to protect against that to some extent, but simultaneously recognizing the value, the inherent value and the beauty of, of human nature and trying to protect that for all. So it's, I agree, it's just like, what a great gift we have received from those founding fathers and how much they struggled with the sin in the world and trying to make it a better world or it's just, it's really a great story to follow. Yeah. Yeah. And that all, you know, I, I agree with that. And that all, despite the fact that actually many of, uh, of the founders themselves were anti-Catholic in various ways. Right. So, um, so that, that's a complication as Catholics in the United States, I think. Uh, and actually I do think that this is a time when, uh, Catholics really can come to the forefront of leadership in our country and, and really have a positive effect because yeah, we've had an ambiguous relationship as Catholics with the United States from the beginning. Uh, again, yeah, largely just because the early, uh, early Americans, early Protestant Americans suspicion of, of Catholicism and its ability to, um, to integrate with the with the American experiment, but I think we've shown that there is profound continuity there between the Catholic faith and uh, and American principles, and um, so. But that, yeah, so that is an interesting uh, story, though, kind of a related story the the anti Catholicism that was present in early American history. What was that like for you when you were delving into that as as a Catholic yourself? Did kind of weed through that somehow? How I mean, stuck with it. So, what was it like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, um, I think that I, I was able to sort of sort of dismiss it in a way as um, as irrelevant because, as, I mean, I, I knew the criticisms of the Protestant Reformation of the Catholic Church. And uh, and I had already I think I'd already sort of come to grips with with, um, you know, how how to uh, how to think about that. Right. Um, why why those criticisms weren't weren't correct and and how the catholic faith survives the criticisms of the protestant reformation and um so so i was able to just kind of you know dismiss that part of it and appreciate other parts of it because it they really aren't connected i think that um yeah the reasons why protestant christians at that time uh rejected or um you know, had had criticisms of Catholics, I think were, you know, were not not connected with their political philosophical insights. In fact, in a way, I think it was a mis a misapplication of certain philosophical insights to the religious realm in parts that they were that they were thinking of. But but yeah, so I was able to separate that. So it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't bother me. I can teach um Samuel Adams's, you know, rant against Catholics and uh, just kind of teach it as an interesting thing that, that he happened to think, but, uh, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't affect the, the rest of, of their insights. Okay. I think that's one of the real, another real gift of that classical education is that it trains you to take what's good despite the, the flawed, I mean, so somebody can be completely have all of their human flaws, all of their weaknesses. But when they say something true, you can say, 
don't agree with that, but that's true. And that's a profound statement. I will take that and combine it with everything else. It's, it seems to fit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. That's, that's probably one of, one of the many things that I've uh, gotten from my classical education. Does that also help you uh, keep past injustices in perspective with how we view them now, present day sensibilities? Does that extend to that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think that that many Americans and many people today have a really hard time processing past injustices. Um, it just just processing it in the sense of where does that leave us? <clears throat> where do past injustices leave us? And uh, what do we do? What do we do with them? Um, how do we fix it? And I think that. That's where, I mean, so I think predominantly with the Catholic faith, as Catholic Christians, I think we have uh, tremendous resources for processing past injustices in, in the fact that we believe in fallen human nature, the original sin, and we believe in redemption through Jesus Christ. And so we have, we've got the whole picture already in place in front of us, and and we can place injustices and terrible evils in that in that picture. We know where it comes from. We know why it's there, and and we know how it can be fixed. And namely, not by us right now, but by God, and and maybe by God working through us. So I just think having that perspective of uh, fall and redemption and the whole salvation story in front of us, I think gives us just a, a great resource for understanding and contextualizing past injustices, I think. And, and just for understanding, you know, the human beings who engaged in those injustices at the time. So, you know, we, we know that people are complex and they're not complex in sort of random ways. They're complex in the ways that we know from the Bible and from our faith that they're complex, that they suffer from the effects of original sin, but then also God gives them grace to do good things and God brings good out of evil. And, and those are really important things to keep in mind when we're grappling with past injustices. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think that, I think the classics give us a similar perspective, not, not to the same, not with the same fullness as our Catholic faith, but I think it's compatible um, with it in the sense that, um, that classic works give us a uh, insights into human nature and the complexity of human nature and its various dimensions that that allow us to better understand and process uh, particular figures of the past and what they're doing and why they're doing it, um, and gives us sort of reference points. Right, we can relate uh, one event. Uh, that happens at a certain time involving certain people to another event that happens, you know, centuries before involving other people, but they have similarities and we can compare them and talk about them. And I think that helps process um, uh, events and, and individuals as well. So, yeah, so I think that uh, tremendous resources we have from classical education and from our Catholic faith for really grappling with past injustices in a healthy way. Well, let's, I'd love to get your thoughts on some ways that our Colby families can engage with the classic literature that is part of our curriculum. You know, I'm thinking, you know, from the beginning, the early literature into junior high, high school literature, um, some of which might contain what might be considered problematic by today's standards, languages, situations, social structures. I'm thinking of 
um, Hagfin that that we read as part of our Colby curriculum and how you might uh, encourage or advise parents starting out on these, working through these with their homeschoolers and ways to approach those, um, especially if they have sort of a an aversion or a hesitation because of the current cultural prevailing opinion that those can be. Anyway, I think, I think hopefully that is a uh, clear enough. I, I can state that a little differently. Yeah. How might, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And uh, yeah, Huck Finn is one of the, one of the ones that people ask about most frequently and talk about most frequently in that sense. And, and I think um, in that case in particular, as in the case of many other classic works that have elements like that, um, I do think I think it's extremely important that we continue to teach those works, despite despite the the need to deal with uh, the the language or the assumptions or situations that we we disapprove of or and have difficulty with. Um, so I think it's vital that we continue to teach these works that we don't just uh, drop them because they contain things that are difficult for us to handle and to talk about. Um, and I know that some schools do drop them, do drop books like Huck Finn and uh, for those reasons. And I think that's really, really um, tragic because, um, uh, again, you're, I mean, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater, to use the expression. And, uh, and I do think that, you know, in, in those instances, uh, for example, with Huck Finn, um, I think that it's important to address before you begin reading the book to address those kinds of the the language or the situations or the assumptions whatever it might be that we that we disapprove of or have difficulty with or think are wrong um that we address them beforehand with students and say look this this is a uh, you know they the n-word usage in huck finn right Here's the historical context of this word. Here's how it was used. Here's the why it was used. Here's what's wrong with it and why we don't use it anymore. And just to have that, that whole conversation with students before even, even starting the book. So that, um, and, and not, also not just dismiss some of these things as, well, that's the way they talked at the time and we don't talk that way anymore. So, uh, so that's that. I think it's really important for students to understand uh, why it's wrong to use that that word. It's not just a bad word, it's, it's bad for these reasons. And, um, and then I think that that, that then allows, allows it to not be an obstacle for students or, or parents or teachers as they're reading the book, if they've already addressed the problematic nature of the language, you know, in advance. We know this is problematic, we know it, but, but we are going to read it for all of the benefits we get from from reading this work. So I think it's important to do both of those things. So not just to say, well, we're going to read it anyways and plow through, um, you know, to know, to really stop and understand uh, why we disapprove of certain things that are in these older books, but then to go ahead and read it anyways, you know, with, armed with that understanding. I think that I think that's important. In our family, instead of Huck Finn at this point, Probably this conversation comes up the most when we have collections of old Disney shorts like Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse and things. And when Disney re-released them, they put many of or many of the, the episodes, you know, from the 30s, from whatever into their vault. So they, they decided to preserve them, but they didn't want them as part of just so my children, and I would watch them and say, well, why? 
why would this be in the vault? You know, and it could it's you it's oftentimes because they're they're portraying uh, a an ethnic I don't know the, the correct word uh, people of a certain country in a in a comical way they're overemphasizing features and and things which isn't really appropriate in today's world but they certainly at the time I you know and we talk as I bring in my my experience with like my grandfather and his generation. Um, who were wonder? My grandfather was a wonderful man, but he would say things when I was like going to college, and I'd say like, oh, "Grandpa, you can't say that anymore. This is, it's not." So it's it's kind of seeing, okay, we don't want to be hypersensitive where we're, you know, it seems like, but we have to be respectful of both. Okay, that might making fun of somebody's appearance or their appearance because they're from a particular background might not be the best type of humor necessarily. And so let's step away from that in a Christian context, I guess. And and especially if people are finding it offensive, it's like, I don't want to be walking on eggshells all the time, but I also want to offend somebody if they really find that offensive too. So I don't know if that fits in exactly, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that that is interesting. Yeah, you're right. That's a, a yeah, different application of this general, uh, yeah, this general theme. And um, you know, I yeah, I think that that is true. There are certain things like yeah, as you're saying, cartoon portrayals and things like that that uh, that people that people just don't really realize at the time that you know that you don't think about it there being anything wrong with that, right? Um, and we all, you know, we instinctively sometimes laugh when someone falls down or something like that. And and it's an understandable uh, human uh, behavior. But of course, you know, it's not it's not uh, good just because it's understandable. Right. So. Um, so, again, I mean, we can we can see this as as reflective of our human imperfection and um, and our fallen nature in some way that um, that we we sometimes reconcile ourselves with ways of. Uh, you know, it's forms of humor that aren't aren't um, charitable and things like that. And and we all, I think, you know, at least many of us uh, do have done that at various times in our lives as kids or something. You make fun of somebody, and um, so yeah. So I think that's that's right. And and you can, you know, you can uh, you can understand something as being wrong and say that it's wrong. Explain to your kids, you know, this is wrong, um, without thereby you know, kind of uh, demonizing the people who who did it, right? Um, that's the other thing is that uh, just because somebody does something that's wrong or is involved in something that's wrong doesn't mean they lose their human dignity and doesn't mean that they they that God doesn't love them anymore and that we shouldn't love them, right? So I think that's also a difficult thing to process that you can condemn someone's actions or what they're involved in without thereby condemning them as a human being. And uh, and that's an important uh, response too, I think. I love in the Catholic Church we have this particular judgment and general judgment as well. You know, so you know, I'm I'm positive that sh should I should I be with our Lord in heaven, there will be many things that I was not even aware that I did to hurt people that. God in His mercy is taking care of those things, or you know, family is the perfect example of that you just you just have to let God take control there because you're going to mess up a lot of things and you have to trust Him to kind of fix your problems. But those will become obvious to us. But I may still be with our Lord in heaven, seeing face to face, even though I've done things which, well, even though I did things that I knew were wrong and things that I wasn't even really aware that I was hurting people or or doing damage. 
Right, right. Well, at this point, do you have any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to leave with our listeners, our Colby families? Yeah, I think that, you know, I would just uh, just really say that what, what you're doing is so important in, um, you know, in educating your children in the Catholic faith and, and with a classical foundation. It's so, so important. And um, I experienced that importance in my life, just the foundation that it laid for me. It really is something that I go back to again and again as, as something I'm grateful for. Um, and, uh, and it really set me on the trajectory that I've, I've pursued in my life. And so, um, so yeah, I would just commend, um, everyone who's engaged in, in Catholic education of, of children, uh, just that you're doing something extremely important. And I do think that there's, uh, the, hopefully we're at a time of renewal in our country. Um, and I think we may be, and I, I hope we are. And if we are, I do think that. Uh, the uh, better forms of education that students are receiving increasingly through classical approaches, classical education, which is growing like crazy around the country. So I think that, and I think um, Catholic education, I really think will be uh, key factors in that renewal. So, um, so yeah, I would just say, um, I keep up the really, really important work and uh, persevere because I do think it'll have uh, bear incredible fruits in, in the future. Okay, well, Adam, this has been a great conversation. We really appreciate you coming to visit with us. I wanted to throw out to our listeners uh, episode 119, The Hope Throughout with Tom and Noel Crow of the American Catholic History Podcast. I meant to mention that earlier when we were talking about uh, your studies in the founding. We That podcast, we, we had the great pleasure of visiting with those, with those two uh, back a while here on episode 119. I'll link it in the show notes. And they tell so many stories of the contributions Catholics have made to the American experiment. So uh, that is uh, for, for those who are interested and they can kind of add more to, to what you have to join the conversation in that way. So uh, we'll, of course, our show notes contain lots of links to stuff we covered today and things that are related and might otherwise be um, of interest and pertinent to this conversation. So please head there to check those out. Adam, thanks so much for coming to visit with us today. It sure was nice meeting you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation and um, yeah, enjoyed being here. Thank you. Subscribe to the Colby cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at Colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.